All right, you may be seated. Back in Luke chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bible there, uh, we'll be in verses 8 through 20 today. We're to the point in this, in this narrative that Jesus has been born. Luke is, and maybe what was probably the most uh, understated verse in all of the Bible, Luke expressed to us that Jesus is born. Simply by saying, Mary gave birth, swaddled him in cloth, and laid him in the manger. And we know that there's more going on in this verse because all of the verses that have led up to it have pointed to the fact that this was no ordinary baby. I mean, an angel announced that Mary was going to be pregnant. Did an angel announce your conception? Probably not, because we're just normal, everyday folk. This was going to be, this baby was more than just an ordinary, everyday baby. Not that your babies are ordinary, everyday babies. Don't mishear me. Don't misunderstand. They're very special. But most of us didn't have an angel showing up to tell people that we were going to be born, that we were going to be conceived. Most of us didn't have the Holy Spirit's presence heavily at work, making sure that everything by God's power was happening the way that, these, that this book has opened. The Holy Spirit has been present in the working of, of this birth, of this moment that's going to be, to be uh, the most profound of all miracles. It, it, and, and truly, none of us, I don't think anyone in this room, probably no one else in history has ever claimed to be born of a virgin but Jesus. No one else has that stake in, uh, to claim. You know, no one else can say that. We know by the verses preceding that verse 7, but by preceding that, that simple and understated truth that he was more than just an ordinary baby, that this was no ordinary event. We know from the verses that follow the life that he was going to live, the, the sinless life that he was going to live, the, the sacrificial death that we are going to see played out in the pages to come, the victorious resurrection that, that follows that crucifixion. We, we know that he's so much more than just a baby. But truly, even in the moment of his birth, even though Luke, in, in just few and simple words, describes his birth, he doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us waiting. In fact, the, the passage is immediately connected to, to verse 7 is the story of the angels. And in fact, if, if we were to sit around our living rooms on Christmas evening, on, on Christmas Eve, reading the story from the Bible, we wouldn't stop at verse 7, would we? Because the, voice, the, the, the story is really incomplete without what happens in verses 8 through 20. But, but I just want you to agree with me on something now. We'll, I think you'll see it played out as the passage unfolds. This, is not a, this passage wasn't given to us so that we could sit around in our living rooms and read it on Christmas Eve. It wasn't given to us to, to prop up a holiday. I would, I would like for you to just go ahead and, and begin to, to settle in your mind right now that Christmas is more about mission than it is about a holiday. That, that this passage that we read every year at least once is more about the work that God is doing to, to, to make all things new than it is so that we can have a day off at the end of our year. I think, I think you'll see it played out, but I just would like, go ahead, just get that in your mind now so that we can read this through the lens of mission rather than the shining wrapping paper that we wrap around all of our presents. Or read with me, if you will, begin in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Uh, you, you get why they're afraid, right? You, you, th- this is the natural reaction. We've seen it happen two other times, that an angel shows up and people are afraid. The glory of the Lord is shining. That demonstrates his presence. He is there. He is on the field. And they know it, and they are afraid. They, they, they are so afraid. I think they're probably on their faces. They're on the ground. He goes on, and he says that they, were so, that they were filled with great fear. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. You don't have to fear, because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So Zechariah is like, he asked for a sign and he's shut up. Like, here's your sign. You can't speak. But here the angel offers a sign to ensure that they find the right baby. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't assume that, there was, that Jesus was the only baby in Bethlehem. Right? I mean, but there is one baby. There, there's one baby that, that you need to know about. And he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's lying in a manger. That probably wasn't happening all over Bethlehem. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. We'll stop right there. Last week, as we looked at Jesus' birth, I, it, we, we focused on the incarnation. We focused on the fact that God put on flesh. God was born. In a moment in history, God was born as a child. I, I, and I gave you three reasons that I think that this is significant, and we need those in our mind as we, as we kind of work this out today. First, it was always God's sovereign plan to, for, for Jesus to put on flesh. It was always God's plan to come. It was always God's plan to send Jesus. This wasn't, it was, wasn't plan B. It wasn't a, a correction. It wasn't, hey, I messed up. I should have done something different. I should have never given Adam and Eve a choice. I should have never let the serpent in the garden. He, he wasn't second-guessing himself before the foundations of the world. God knew Jesus was coming. Jesus knew he was coming. The Spirit was prepared to do the work to bring conception about in a virgin. He knew it was going to happen. This was always God's plan. Second, God has always been the initiator of relationship. We see this all over the scripture, but we see it particularly clearly in the incarnation. Before he ever called anyone to come to him, he came to us. He initiates. He does the work. He, he sets the thing in motion. He, he's the one that comes first. Before, before he ever says, come to me, he comes to us. He makes himself known. 
And then third, the incarnation is an, it's an offensive strategy, not a defensive strategy. God is not shoring up his defenses. He's not building walls. He's not trying to, trying to just hang on to what little left he has in the world. This is an offensive move into hostile territory. God is on the move. He is about playing offense. And the, and the ministries that he then has called us to are also offensive. We are not called to be a people who shore ourselves up inside of our, inside of our forts. We are called to be a people who go just like he has come. God's, this, this has always been God's gracious strategy in the world. This has always been what he has been working towards, the incarnation of Jesus. We speak so often about the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, and we should. Those are extremely important. We miss this. We miss it. God became flesh. This is the most profound miracle of all the Bible, of all the scripture, of all that God has ever done. This is the most profound of them all. We are able to celebrate Easter because we were first given Christmas. You you get that, right? Easter doesn't exist without Christmas first happening. There's no one that can carry this burden. There's no one that can offer this sacrifice unless God himself comes into into our place and stands in our place and does this work for us. Yo, talk about the crucifixion. Yes, absolutely. Celebrate the resurrection. But don't lose sight of this. He was born. In a moment in history, God was born. This was what the Old Testament had been pointing towards since its inception, since the fall into sin. I showed you that last week in Genesis chapter 3 at the, at, at, as the curse is laid out. As God speaks He points to the moment, the time where his son would come. And now he sits on the throne. The very God that that spoke this in Genesis is the God that sits on the throne in Revelation that has said, I put on flesh and now I'm going to make all things new. This moment, this this incarnation, it's huge for us. We miss it. It's, it's revealed in the New Testament. It's, it's pointed to the, in the Old Testament. It's revealed in the New Testament. And brothers and sisters, our lives now, our lives now are radically shaped by it. And if they aren't being shaped by the incarnation, the work of Christ to come, to put on flesh, to dwell among us, to be a, a, a movement of mission, a, an offensive strategy to come to us before he calls us to, if our lives are not shaped by that, they will not make sense. In fact, many of us are scrambling around trying to figure out what the purpose in our life is because we don't recognize the purpose of the incarnation. Many of us have, have, have been mis, misled and given to things that, that don't glorify God simply because we've missed sight, we've lost sight of the incarnation, the, the offensive work of God moving to, to bring his mission to be. If we are ever going, if we are ever going to see sense made out of our lives, see the reason that he left us here. We've got to quit reading this passage from the perspective of people who are sitting around Christmas trees just waiting to be able to open their presents. This passage is not about a holiday. This passage is about a God who is given to his mission, who put feet to it, who meant what he said when he made that promise in Genesis. This passage is not about us gathering around tables and eating big meals. It's about a God who would provide a real feast in the days to come. Now, I need to say this because I I don't want... I'm going to celebrate Christmas, okay? 
I'm not asking you to jump on this legalistic bandwagon that we don't have holidays. But in the midst of our celebration, may we really celebrate what is to be celebrated. I don't know what's on your Christmas list. I don't know the things that you long for. I know what I'm hoping to get. But that is nothing. It is nothing in, con- in contrast, in comparison to the beauty of the fact that God came to us. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. And, and even in this passage, this, this passage that we have read over and over and over again, we see his strategy unfolding. We see his missional strategy, his missional plan to reach a people. Not give us reasons to get presents. I, I want to show you that today. In fact, I'm, let me just give you the, the, the way I think the strategy unfolds. Let me just give you the highlights, and we'll come back and talk about each one. First, we're going to talk about divine revelation. God made this known. When we're going to talk about the, how that calls us to a, a faithful reaction, we must do something in light of the revelation. There must, something's got to happen. There has to be a response. There will be a response. It compels us to respond, which then gives way to further gospel proclamation. If it's a faithful reaction, that gives way to further gospel proclamation, which then establishes praise and adoration. You know what's what God's ultimately going for, right? It's in our best interest to worship him, to adore him. And so he's going for his praise and adoration. That is ultimately what he's moving towards. And all of history one day, One day in all of history, we will find that moment revealed where we all sing praises to the king. And that strategy is is right here before us, and we'll we'll, we'll just work our way through it now. First divine revelation. You can see it in verse 8 through 14. The angels come, right? So you you get that the angels didn't come on their own. They, They didn't decide this plan. They didn't come up with this idea. They didn't decide, hey, why don't we go and tell them that this baby that got born was born of a virgin? This was, this was something that had been revealed to them. This is, this is a message that had been given to them. And when they show up on the field with those shepherds, they're not speaking their own words. They're speaking God. He's there. The, the divine glory, this, this glory of God, the glory of the Lord, it says, shown around them. That demonstrates that God is present. It may be angels you see with your eyes. It may be an angel's voice you hear with your ears. But it is God's words being spoken to them. This is a divine revelation. Of course they're afraid. Of course they're afraid. And that's why the angel starts out. He's got to deal with this. He's, he's got to start here. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I have good news. Now, we're not going to pick up on it because we don't see the original language. But in the original language, we could have easily, just as easily written, don't be afraid. I have the gospel. The gospel of great joy. I have good news for you. It's, it's, it's evangelion. It's, that's the word. I have, uh, I have a message to evangelize you with. I have a message to bring you. It is good news. This, this divine revelation was nothing more than a gospel presentation. This is God making his mission known. His purposes known. It's a message of joy. This is how the angel starts. I mean, this, it's a message of great joy. Never mind your circumstances. Who cares if you're shepherds in the field and looked down upon by, by culture and society? 
Never mind the circumstances that are to come. I have, I have a message. I have, I have a gospel of great joy. And it's going to fill you with this exuberant happiness, this, this happiness that can't be contained in circumstances. It's not built upon the circumstances of life, but finds its root in the message of Christ. This is going to make you happy. Man, don't you want to be happy? Isn't that what we all, uh, we, we, we even write it in our founding documents as a nation that we have the right to pursue happiness. Because we want to be happy. This is it. This is the message. This is where you find it. Quit looking. Sears doesn't have it. You can't find it at Macy's or Walmart. Certainly not Walmart. This is, they don't have it. This is where you find joy. You're never going to find joy in the back of a department store. You're only going to find joy in the message of the gospel. It's a message of joy. He brings it. It's a promise of salvation. Look at what he says. He says, I have good news of great joy. For today in the city of David, a Savior. A Savior's born. We all know we need to be saved. We all know when we get really honest with ourselves, when we're sitting in, the, in our rooms by ourselves and we're not trying to impress anybody else, we recognize we are out of control. Drive some of us crazy. Some of us get really anxious and angry and we lash out when we can't keep control of things. But when we're honest, we know we need a Savior. We all know we need a Savior. We long to be saved. Well, here's your Savior. He's not wearing fatigues. He's not wearing a uniform. He's a baby wrapped, swaddling clothes. Obviously implies a future salvation. Obviously he's not saving the world today. At least at the moment of this, of, of this announcement. But he has come to save you. And so fulfilled promise of the Christ God's been promising the Christ. They would have heard it as the Messiah. They, they have been looking forward to the coming Messiah for generations. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one of your traditions is to go down to Silver Dollar City and ride the train and hear Grandpa tell the story. This was the story that their grandpas were telling. You guys are looking at me like you've never been there before. You go to Silver Dollar City and listen to Grandpa tell the story. This is the story their grandpas were telling. A Messiah is coming. In the next generation, a Messiah is coming. God is going to send the Christ, the anointed one, the one come to do his work, the one to, to, to finish his mission, to, to complete his work. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And so I can guarantee you what these shepherds heard was that the Messiah was here. The one that God had been promising is here. He's, he's arrived. He's, he's on earth. He's, he's landed. He's with us. And it's an announcement of divine authority. Who, who is he? He's the Savior who is Christ, the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. The Lord. And again, we're, we're not going to hear this because we've tuned out our ears from it. Because we like to think we're Lord. We like to think we're the one in charge. This, this speaks to his divine authority. And, and, and I mean divine authority. 
That's the, word that, that's the way they understood the word. You can see it even in this passage as it's used. In Luke verse 9, 2 verse 9, he says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. That's Luke using the word in the past, you know, looking back at what had happened. An angel of the Lord, the curios, it's the same word. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, speaking about God, the glory of God, the gl- an angel of God. He, he recognizes divine authority at work. Then in verse 11, the, the angel uses this word. It's a quote from the angel. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angel recognizes Jesus to be divinely authoritative. He recognizes that Jesus carries the authority of God. In verse two, or chapter 2, verse 15, that same passage, when the angels went away from the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, this is them speaking. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord, which God. So so even as they're hearing this, they're recognizing, they're knowing, because the way they use the word, they're recognizing that this is a baby. They don't know his virgin birth. They don't know that, that Mary had Gabriel visit her. They don't know that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and conceived in her womb without, without the help of a man. He conceived in her womb a baby. He, they don't know that. What they do know is that this is the Lord. That this, that this baby is the Lord. And, and clearly, they saw the divine authority that was revealed to them by divine authority. In this message, this divine revelation was a pronouncement of peace. And when the angel finishes telling them what he's got to say, the sky is filled. I mean, literally filled. It's filled up. It's not one or two. It's not three or four. This is a huge number of angels. Probably, probably they look all over and they see angels. It's filled and they are singing. In fact, it's interesting. I I think I'll point this out here. It says that it was filled with a host of angels. The word that that, that we translate host is the same word that would be translated army. This is an offensive move. This is a strategic, offensive move of God. And it, it may be that as they appear, you know, these angels, this army of God appearing in the sky, this might be what has caused fear in so many people, that they're dressed up as warriors, that they're wearing garb as if they're going into war, but they don't fight. What do they do? They proclaim. They're not picking up their swords and chopping off heads. Instead, they're speaking a message that the battle has been won. They've not come to fight. They've come to proclaim that one is fighting for us. This is a proclamation of peace that God is winning peace with us for us. This is His work. This is His battle. This is His fight. This is the divine revelation that He has come into the world, that He is bringing with Him peace with man, that He is bringing joy, that He is bringing uh, his, his Son, the Messiah, is come. He is here. Don't miss this in in lieu of all that we celebrate instead. God is at work. He is divinely revealing his mission. And then we, we see that, that that compels them to do something. 
In fact, we get to see in the, in, in the shepherds, we get to see a faithful reaction. You see it in verses 15, 15 and 16, once the angels have gone. Once, they've, once the sky has gone dark and the, and the shepherds are sitting there in the field again, and they're not sitting around discussing, hey, did, did anybody else see that? Did somebody drop some, something in the stew? I, maybe I'm hallucinating. No, they, they know what they just saw. They are certain of what they just saw. And the scripture tells us that they acted in haste. Let us go. And they went with haste. As they, as they were presented the gospel, as the gospel message was brought to them, they were compelled to action. And when they get there, they show up. And so they find Mary and they find Joseph and they find this baby swaddled, laying in a manger. And it is true. And they find it to be true. Listen, the gospel, the gospel will always prove to be true. You don't have to wonder if this check is going to bounce when you get to the bank. It's going to clear. It, it, you, you, you and I, we have the, the, the hope of all of history standing behind us that God has always been working towards us. He has crossed all of his T's and dotted all of his I's. There won't be any loophole that undoes this work. It won't come crashing down because he just couldn't pull it off. The gospel will always prove itself true. Go looking for the baby in the manger and he will be there. You recognize that's an analogy. He's not there anymore. Find your Savior that hung on the cross and he will be there. You go seeking him. You go go pursuing him. You go checking him out. He will always be faithful. He will always prove true. Now as we present this same message, this, this same message that's been given to us, we can know we are presenting something true. I have reason to stand up here every week, not because I have done something, but because God has done something. There really is a reason for you to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. It may seem irrelevant. It may seem as if it's not that big a deal anymore. It may seem as if they've gone past it and the world doesn't need it anymore. Brothers and sisters, this is the only true message that matters. This is it. It will always prove true. And it will always compel people to react. The gospel will always compel people to react. But demands a faithful reaction to know its joy and peace. There's a reality that every time we proclaim the gospel, there's one of two outcomes. Rejection or belief. You weren't called to determine what the reaction would be. The angels weren't called to be determining what the reaction would be. They were simply called to proclaim it. They were simply called to tell it. When we believe God's work, we are able to enjoy God's work. That's that's how it works. We enter into it by faith. So now it may seem at times to us irrelevant in light of all the things that are going on around us. Political unrest. There's a ton of that going around. Racial tensions everywhere we look. Does the gospel really have a place? Does a baby who is born, Christ 
Savior, Lord, does, does that message really matter? Absolutely. It's the only one that matters because it's the only one that's got divine revelation behind it. And it's the only one that when we believe it, enables us to enjoy the joy and peace that God brought through it. That's it. We have nothing else. And so we see divine revelation that calls for a faithful reaction, which gives way to further gospel proclamation. These shepherds, they they were moved by this. They, they, were, they were so stirred up by this. They were so excited by it. What do, what do they do? As soon as they see the baby, what do they do? They start telling everybody else. You think that Mary and Joseph didn't hear about this baby, this angelic proclamation that happened in the field? You think they didn't hear what had just happened? Yes, they heard it. They, they heard it. That's why the, the shepherds didn't show up like a bunch of pervs looking for an infant in a manger. They showed up proclaiming, hey, you're not going to believe this. These angels showed up and said this was going to happen, and now he's here. He must be the Savior. He must be Christ the Lord. He's come to bring peace with men, and and he's come to bring joy. That's their message, and they can't help but tell it. They can't help but share it. I heard it said recently by, uh, I think his name, I think it was Jonathan Dodson. I I heard him say recently that we we, we talk about what we're taken with. You know, the thing that moves us, the thing that excites us, that's what we talk about. So I just challenge you. I, I would encourage you, just go look at your Facebook feed. If you talk on Facebook, I, I don't do that much, but if you talk on Facebook, go, go see your feed. Go look at your feed. What are you talking about? Listen to the conversations with you, that you have with the people at your work. What are you talking about? What you're talking about is what you're taking with. And these shepherds, they were so taken by the gospel. They were so taken by it that they couldn't help but tell it. In fact, the next person they saw got to hear it again. Mary's like pondering this in her heart. She's so moved by this. She's already been worshiping. I mean, we've seen her worship as a, as a reality of the work that God had done in her bringing, bringing this conception. We saw her singing songs of praise. She's now just, she is so moved by this that she is pondering and gathering up in her heart and thinking through this. But they're telling everybody, and, 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 and these people are moved to wonder. They're, they're like surprised, and they're adoring God, and they're excited. Listen. We may think we have all the answers. We, we, we may be able to tell the coach of our favorite team what decision he should have made. We may be able to tell our our, our leaders, our political, our government leaders, we may be able to tell them what they should have done because our vantage point from our armchairs is so good. We can tell them these things, right? It's fine to speak your mind. It's fine to let your opinion be known. It's fine to tell people about your political perspective. It's fine to, to let people know of things as significant, how you feel, uh, things as significant of, as Syrian refugees. It's fine to let them know that. It's fine to let them know that you're upset that the referee called some play wrong. It's fine. But brothers and sisters, that opinion, that opinion will never change the forever of someone. It has no power to do that. We have spent so much time telling people how they should feel, telling people what they should think, telling people to agree with us that we have lost sight of the fact that God came as part of his mission to save us. 
The gospel message is the only weapon, angels or man, has been given to to wield. God may reveal his plan for us or through us, but he has fought and won the battle for us. We only get so many words in this life. Why do we use so many of them to tell people what we think about everything and not more of them to proclaim the gospel that God has given us to make sure that people will live forever? Why don't we do that? I'm afraid that we're too caught up in holidays and events that make us feel good. And we're not taking enough with the gospel. Can, can I point out here also that the cycle is already beginning to duplicate itself? You see, it starts with divine revelation that leads to a a need for faithful reaction, a demand for faithful reaction, again, dependent upon divine revelation, that moves to gospel proclamation. We need God to be speaking. Certainly, we want people to hear our words. They're going to be seeing us in front of them. As we go to these people, as we speak to these people about the, uh, about the gospel, we need them to hear God. We are dependent upon him to reveal this to people. And he has promised that it's through this. It's through this message that he would do that. The gospel is the only message that has God's power immediately connected to it. It is the only power of God unto life. It is the only message that is the power of God unto life. It alone can affect the forever of someone's life. It's it. It's by itself. Let's make sure when we have been so moved. Let, let, let me say this a different way. Let's spend so much time looking at the gospel that it enamors us with the gospel that we are taken with it that we can't help talk about it. And then trust that God will reveal through us his plan to bring people to life forever. Finally, so we have divine revelation. We have faithful reaction giving way to gospel proclamation, which establishes praise and adoration. They were worshiping. They were so moved by God's power. They were so impressed with with what God was doing that they couldn't help but sing his praises and speak of adoring things of him. No, where was God when this happened? What, why didn't he do this this way? No, God is working. We're so thankful that God is working. We are so often so quick in moments of trouble to ask where God was. Forgetting that the other 364 days he was there working. Not, not spending our time every day saying, God, you have this. You got this. You are so good. But boy, something goes wrong, something we lose control over immediately. We're jumping, where's God? Why didn't he do this the way I... Brothers and sisters, he gave us the gospel that sets all things right. It moves them to praise and adoration. These shepherds would never be the same again. So far as we know, they remained shepherds. They didn't, they didn't quit their jobs and they didn't go on the mission field. They stayed in the field shepherding sheep as worshiping shepherds. As missionary shepherds. 
They, they, they stayed there telling people, always thinking, I can't imagine that this, that this ever got dull to tell people about the day that the angels showed up and told them about Jesus. And as Jesus grew up, we'd be naive to think that they didn't hear about Jesus. Everyone in Jerusalem, in Judea, in, in, the, in the area around heard about Jesus. People were coming all over to hear about, to, to, to listen to Jesus. People were coming from all over to see him work powerful miracles. And we'd be naive to think that they didn't hear about this baby who'd grown up to do the things that they, told, that they were told that he was going to do. And forever their life would be changed because this moment in the field, but they didn't leave the field. They went back to the field and they, they, they worshipped God from the field and they ministered and missioned for God from the field and they told people on their way, wherever they were going, hey, listen up, the angel came and told me about this baby. And it led them to a life of praise and adoration, a life of worship. And it led others to worship. What happened? I mean, you see what happened. As, as they're telling the story, people, people were moved to worship. Mary internally worshiping, considering the work of God. And all who heard wondered. Wondered. They were moved to awe. They wondered. See, only the gospel will lead us to worship And only by making the gospel known will we ever lead anyone else to worship. It's not our job to invoke emotional response. It's our job to preach the gospel and let God fill people with their Holy Spirit that they might respond to the divine revelation with a faithful reaction that stirs them up to proclaim the gospel and live in worship. So just in these closing moments. We see this divine revelation that gave way to that faithful reaction that that led them to further gospel proclamation and praise and adoration. Why do you think he's not sending angels anymore? Do do you know why he's not sending shepherds and angels to tell this message anymore? Because he has sent you and he has sent me. Your work is your place of employment, your neighborhood. They have been reached by the gospel because you're there. As he sent us, as, as he was sent, he now sends us. You, you have this divine revelation. Go let people know. Go let them know. The next Facebook post you, get, you make, instead of telling people what they should think or the reasons, your, your Bible verses that prop up your, and justify your actions, tell them about Jesus. Proclaim the gospel. It's the only thing that will change their forever. It's the only thing that will lead them to worship. It's the only thing that will empower them to proclaim the gospel to someone else and their further praise and adoration. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are good. And of course, we know we're undeserving. Rather than carrying that weight too far, Father, would you just allow us to know your forgiveness in the gospel? We have peace with you. 
We are no longer at odds. You have made us part of your team. You've brought us into your family. You have welcomed us into your kingdom. And there is nothing that can send us away. Would you enamor us again? Would you fill us with joy? Because of what you have done. Because this message you have made known. Would you reveal to our hearts what we are more enamored with? That we might respond faithfully. That we might react faithfully. And we might set it aside and believe more fully in the gospel. May we, Father, because of what you've done, because of who you are, may we be a people who are known for making you known. May we be a people known who adore you, who praise you with our words because we know you. It's all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.